Hi and welcome to the Cult Hackers podcast. My name is Stephen. So today we have the second part of our discussion with Daniel Allen Cox, writer and author of a new book, I Felt the End Before It Came. If you haven't yet caught up with part one, I recommend you pause this podcast here, listen to part one and then come back to this one. Just before we bring you the rest of the interview, I wanted to make you aware of our Patreon page. If you find the podcast useful or interesting, you can become a patron to help support its production. Patrons get a number of benefits, including exclusive content and Zoom chats, where you can speak to us about the subjects covered in the show. And now, here's the rest of the interview. That's so insightful. And yeah, now you're able to generate the idea or you generate understanding. You do that through critical thinking, through uh, debating with yourself, through thinking about it. It's, uh, it's an act of creation um, as opposed to a passive act of um, uh, just it being given to you. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great example. Any more? <laughs> more. Oh, this... Well, just... Um generates right uh makes me think of the word uh, generation right which is you know which is like you know um to those who are unfamiliar we were told with absolute certainty that that um the generation who saw 1914 will not pass away before the new world arrives which of yep. course they have, and now that that's uh, line's been removed from the watchtower masthead. So, mm. go figure, right? Um, yeah. So it's this sort of like eschatological word that's used to explain scripture through the book of Daniel, through the book of Revelation, um, hoping to come upon a date or to come upon a time frame, and to continually beat the drum over the idea of the end is near, it's here, it's coming any day now, you know, and now I understand generation differently. I understand um, forming community with uh, different, with different uh, generations of queers, you know, mm-hmm. some um, who predate AIDS, right? Some um, who grew up in the middle of the epidemic and, and, um, and queers who are now just coming up and who ask me so, so curiously what life was like, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. At the time, either either like in Montreal or in New York or in Poland, which my my book also addresses. The other thing I think is interesting that you, I'm sure you've thought about is is not it's not only the way that, um, um, and, and I'm sure other groups do this as well. We're we're focusing on Jehovah's Witnesses because obviously that's our common experience, but I'm sure um, other groups do the same. We've talked to other people, um, but there's also a a an avoidance of certain words. Um, Mm -hmm. So we -hmm. didn't have hymns. We had kingdom songs. We didn't go to church. Mm -hmm. We went to a kingdom hall. Um, There was no clergy, but there were elders. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, uh, and actually it, what that does, it disguises what actually Jehovah's Witnesses, they're philosophically that, and I want to do an episode specifically on this, but they, they philosophically have a lot to do with the Anabaptist uh, movement going back a few hundred years. Actually, if you look at their beliefs and and their general worldview, 
it's mm-hmm. not really that different to that, but it's made to sound and feel really different through the use of language. And it's replacing words that everybody mm-hmm. understands with, with new words, new ways of, think, of talking about yes. things. Which is that yes, thing about group thing, isn't it, as well? So, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, and that's how I kind of, I guess, probably would infuriate some of them because when um, friends ask me questions and because they, they don't understand all this weird language stuff, and they're like, well, that's like the barrier, you know? And they'll be like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah. it's just church um, or just, you know, like the different words. And it's like, but everyone has the common words they would normally understand it for like you say kingdom or for church or kingdom mm. songs mm-hmm. for hymns and it's just like oh it's just it's just that <laughs> it's just being it's dressed up in a different way you know and to this day thank you both for these amazing insights you know like it's it's the it's the um story of our lives right it's this you know it, it's our it's the language that we have to think with, right? Um, so, so, like, it's really important. To this day, when someone asks me, so, so, what was it like in the Jehovah's Witness Church? I'll stop. I'll correct them and say, "Well, actually, yeah. we don't. Uh, they don't call <laughs> yes. it a church, you know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So, to this day, I'm still policing that set of language, yes. and. Um, and I'm not sure if you've read like Amanda Montel's Cultish, but it's a brilliant book. Yeah, mm, right. Yeah. Um, and and in addition to like all these points about like making people feel special, um, exclusive, um, um, using uh, thought terminating cliches that that you know really just um, paste over language and experience that that people who don't use this language correctly is a way to like identify potential troublemakers. Right. Mm. Um, and as someone to be watched. Right. And so mm. if you, if you're not using the language, either you're worldly or you're on the way out mm. or you were never in, in the first place. So um, it's, um, it's a, a way to police. Absolutely, and that was explicit. Um, so I don't know another bit of language, theocratic language. Ah, yes. And celebrate the fact that we had our own language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and as you quite rightly say, all communities, social groupings do have their own language. Sometimes we call it jargon. This is a this is a normal part of um, social uh, life. But um, there's something more. I don't know. Somehow deliberate about some of this that is meant mm-hmm. to separate or it seems like it's meant to separate and differentiate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ones I love, you know, by which I mean love to laugh at is, you know, now, now my take on this is all very, um, very uh, love hate, right. Is, yeah. Oh, Oh, we're not a religion. Right. And so mm. growing up, I was told we are not a religion. You know, this is the, the one true faith and religion is a word that's you know used for for Christendom basically you know Christendom and Babylon the Great and Babylon the Great lest we forget mm-hmm. yeah. so now we have witnesses arguing in court oh no but but so um, yes. um, we are a religion <laughs> that's right because now their charity status is mm-hmm. on the line and so they have to say that and I was actually recently. Uh, Digging into Canadian history, um, 
and the witnesses and um in like over the course of world war ii the argument that they aren't a religion was actually used against them in court in relation to having to go to war right having to fight and do and do military service and their argument that that said they should be exempt because of their preaching work and it was basically turned against them and say well you're not a religion according to your own admission and so why should we grant you this exemption um you know which is extremely ironic and um these are contradictions i've tried to to hold in my book um is that the jw's repress so many rights of so many of their members and at the same time their case is fundamental toward the freedom of religion in canada mm. and you know which led to the canadian bill of rights and then eventually charter of rights and freedoms and so to some people who don't actually know them that well they are freedom fighters you know yeah. in, in this respect right um and and this is just one of the many contradictions of this group yeah i don't think a lot of people know that again it's probably a topic for a um a specific podcast about it but jehovah's witnesses yeah. have, have been in the forefront of um fights for religious freedom um yeah and they applaud themselves um for those those things and um and are right. quite i suppose rightly proud of that but yes you're absolutely right and yet at the same time suppressing so much uh yeah. so many freedoms for those within even the right to leave without censure and without losing your family yes. that's you know that, right. uh, most basic and, and obviously your own sexuality and who you are it's um these are mm -hmm. most the most basic of freedoms that are suppressed um by the group mm -hmm. so yeah yeah it's ironic mm. you have a um a piece that um it's one of the i think it's the first piece i i read of yours and it relates to this this con uh this content really it's called a vocabulary for apostates uh Daniel. Mm -hmm. um and i'll i'll put the link uh, for people to read that uh piece it's very very interesting and this is really you know you talk about some of this stuff in there things like the new system um that really rang yeah, a bell with me um mm -hmm. yeah the new system i don't know if they they use so some of these things go out of favor i think um, but I remember yeah. talking about the new system and the new I've order. I've still heard as well. people say that, mm -hmm. but I don't know if that's just because they're like older generation or not. But Maybe. I have still heard yeah. that floated around. Interesting. I'm curious, actually, which words are are still used in in English and, of course, other languages. You know, which which I may I may never know. Like um, French, I pretty much know what words were used mm -hmm. because you know we had um, some overlap or or you know as we were leaving the francophone quote-unquote brothers and sisters would be coming in as we were as we oh, were putting on our shoes in the cloakroom yeah. and so you know there'd yeah. be or overlaps like in field service uh but i'm i'm so curious how those terms evolve and also why and i'm sure social media plays a part too i'd, I'd be curious you know, if there are any of us out there who are, who have this project in mind. Mm. I just thought as well, I know we've kind of moved on a little bit, but the term field service as well, if you think about that. Because <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like, well, yeah, being in the field, it's very like, 
evocative yeah. of like battle. <laughs> you know, it's um, yeah, well, yeah. pioneers, yeah. auxiliary yeah. pioneers. This is oh, a very kind of yes. um, mm-hmm. for, for pacifist, you know, yeah. st- <laughs> people. Yeah. It's very and, evocative. Yeah, and every now and then I will still use a few of these words without realizing that that the person I'm talking to doesn't know what it means mm. or go, you know, you know, the editor of that piece that, that you're posting in the link or, or my book editor as well. Will sometimes say, I'm saying, how are you using this? You know, you know, what do you mean by the word witness? Um, yes. Um, what do you mean by the word? It's like, Oh, okay. Well, witness, I just mean, I just mean preach, mm. you know? And then like, he'll say, well, it means more to, to bear witness to something, you know, observe and to acknowledge, right? So, aha, I see. I'm still discovering how my language has been distorted and taken away from me, you know? And so I appreciate how in cultish Amanda Montel finds ways for people to reject different thought terminating cliches and to take it back. And so they can begin to finally tell the story. Yeah. And it is so... Obviously, for those of us who are raised as witnesses, I think it has a particular um, significance, you know, because it is our first language. So, you know, it's as you're sitting on the on the floor in your nappy, um, you know, your your parents are saying, um, come on, we've got to get ready for the meeting now. Um, it's time for field service or, you know, it's, it, it is all of these words. Are, I mean, um, here's a funny one. I... Even when I left, I was still using what I thought was a word, um, which was an S8. So um, I used to, I think the the S8 was like a little um, A5 bit of paper. Um, oh. But it actually, it is, a, it is a code. It's S for Stephen and 8. It's like a, a, a document. They had different names for oh S1, S2, S3, S4, S5 and S8. But I just thought it was like spell E-S um, A-T-E. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. I thought it was an actual wow. word. So even when I left, I, I still talked about, um, can you hand me that S8 or something? Because I just thought it was a bit of paper. So it just shows you how completely um, inculcated yes. this language is. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, actually, this is one of the reasons I loved uh, Last Days by Ali Miller, who you've, of course, ha- had on the show before. Um, it's so immersive in the world. You know, you know, rarely am I so lost in the scene. And not just because it's, it's a shared background, but by how um, Ali uh, tackles the scene and sets it up, puts you into it. And that language is part of creating the world right and so it's it's um incredibly tactile book and uh, made tactile by the by the language of the of the church now i can say church Mm -hmm. because i'll I'll, you know i'll allow myself to Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's what it is um and so we can call it out for what it actually is yeah (laughs) it's it's weird having these conversations as well in the sense i'm i'm thinking like from my point of view is not someone that was born in it you know, dad mm-hmm. obviously made the choice to, you know, I don't want to teach something to me I didn't, or to my daughter I didn't think mm-hmm. was true, which, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's interesting because obviously I was still interacting with family members because we yeah. still had interaction because uh, dad faded. So it meant we were still 
mm-hmm. interacting with. So I, it's not like, so I still understood the language and I knew how to behave, I suppose, in a way that was like, we could still integrate, if you know what I mean. So I wouldn't talk about mm-hmm. certain things and I would talk about certain other things that I maybe didn't have much interest in, but I knew that there would be a, a, a conversation that a Jehovah's Witness would enjoy, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I guess that's like, yeah, it's an interesting thing from that point of view of being a visitor, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. and, and like attending a hall and not being someone that's, you know, regularly there, but still being able to like move around in the space one because you know you're with people that they know so you've got mm-hmm. you're not just turning up you know for the first time alone um right but yeah it's interesting she don't, I don't really think about it but yeah it's not, i was never confused i suppose by like the terms meeting or pioneering mm-hmm. or whatever you know yeah it's, it's, mm-hmm. you're a child of two worlds in a way two um, yeah. two different worlds um i i guess the other thing i was going to say daniel is um it's just got me thinking there because we we focused on the 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 minimum um the cellular element which is the actual words themselves but of course these words are strung together into phrases and ideas um and mm-hmm. that's of course a really important important part of language that that determines your view of the world that everything that you see everything that you experience i mean there's this german word weltanschauung which is used Mm -hmm. in the literature um which is basically worldview and um yeah that's that's really where the language is so powerful because it 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 forms your the way that you look at the world it's like a pair of glasses through which you see Mm -hmm. absolutely everything um and when you when you're leaving then you're 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 trying to um move from one way of seeing the world to another um could you talk to us a little bit about your experience of that how how you did that and how long it took and you know maybe you're still doing that i don't know yes of course it's really um a long project it's important to mention that that uh most of my experience in in the cult was pre-digital, right? Mm. So I'm sure as was yours. So we didn't have access to, to, um, outside perspectives as easily. Right. Um, and so even after I left, I didn't really realize that, that, uh, other people had my experience or very similar experiences. Mm. Right. Mm. It actually, didn't really like occur to me that hmm, maybe there are thousands of of queer young men who had to leave the congregations, you know, because of of uh, reasons like mine. Um, but like, but like, it never really occurred to me. Um, so, one of the big moments of me reckoning with this was discovering the internet in the early two thousands um, because I didn't really. Uh, grew up with a computer, didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And so even if there was internet in the 90s, we didn't have it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in the early 2000s, I just happened upon a bunch of, of uh, you know, blogs and, uh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and uh, forums and chats. And I saw that there were 
thousands of us out there, right? Thousands of us um, who were beginning to tell the story mm-hmm. and to and to compare notes, right? And I would just read these like threads of hundreds of posts of people saying, "Oh yeah, me too. Really, me too." You know, mm-hmm. on on on. And so it looks like there was this explosion at the time of of um, ex witnesses finding each other and finally starting to compare notes. Um, and so what I would read in these threads made me very, very angry, um, made me um, um, confront my family for the first time about this, right? So, um, and, and that didn't go very well. Um, and it made me realize that I wasn't alone in this experience. However, it also didn't make me more curious. So this strange phenomenon happened where I kind of buried what I, I just learned, you know. I buried the fact that um, the Watchtower says that we have to be to be no part of this world, of Satan's world. And at the same time, they're a card-carrying member of of the UN, you know, of the UN's library system, mm-hmm. which which would have scandalized any congregation had they found out, right, Absolutely. at the time. Wasn't, wasn't that the disgusting thing that causes desolation? Yes, exactly. Yes, mm. yes. Who will, yes, um, who will turn on Babylon the Great right. and destroy false religion at the end, mm. at the end, right, at the end of days. Um, so I kind of uh, buried everything I learned, you know, um, and didn't deal with it and... I'm still not sure why I buried it because I had all the evidence at the time to to put my thesis thesis together, but I guess I, d- I just hadn't done enough enough uh, growing up yet, right? Um, those of us who who were raised in witnesses um, um, didn't really have uh, adolescences, right, mm. where we could like try things out, mm. make mistakes see what fits, see what doesn't, be rebellious, explore. And so I did, I did that mostly, most of that in my twenties, right? So I wasn't ready to confront all that I'd learned. Um, And then over the years, it started to creep into my fiction, right? And, and so then I would have friends say, oh, you used to, to be a witness, I didn't know that, you know. Mm. Or uh, why aren't you writing more about this? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, and then what I actually told them was like, oh, I processed that years ago. <laughs> I said those words. Yeah, I, I've kidded myself with that um, <laughs> uh, in the past. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it's a case of uh, I was like so certain that I that I dealt with mm. um, with uh, all of these like repercussions that. I no longer needed to 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 like address it in my work, right? <laughs> um, um, what a joke, right? Uh, so, the story of this memoir is the story of, and it makes me emotional to uh, talk about this. The story of the people in my life who I love and who love me and who know me gently ever so gently 
over the decades, helping me um, um, come to this moment to tell the story. And it's not even the complete story because, of course, how can one memoir, how can one 240-page book ever capture anything? Yeah. It can't. Um, but I'm finally, I'm finally taking a stab at it, you know. And um, it took a lot of gentle nudges by the people in my life, you know, to say, how bad would it be if you, if you just started uh, talking about this? And there was one other key moment, too, actually. So in 2018, um, a friend from my former uh, congregation in the West Islands of Montreal died. He, he um, died of alcohol poisoning. The substance abuse related directly to his shunning, right? It was a terrible, a terrible situation. Um, and I got like a message, um, a very brief message from, from someone else that I know in the congregation who's since left and who said, um, Stephen's dead. Uh, here are the details for his funeral. And the address was, was a nightclub. So Stephen was a DJ, right? Mm -hmm. After he left the truth, he became a pretty a prominent DJ, found friends uh, in the music world across the eastern seaboard. Um, um, I showed up at this event um, um, wearing a suit, <laughs> which is a very witness thing to do. And I'm sure you're smiling, Stephen, you know. And what I saw... Whereas when I walked up the stairs, I saw like 10 faces from my old kingdom hall, right? Which was just overpowering. It was a completely overwhelming moment. Some I knew had left, others I, I actually never really knew. And so I saw them there and, and, and it was like a bizarro version of our kingdom hall. One of them actually called me Brother Cox, you know, which was talk about the ability for language to take you back. But also distinct was here we were, not in a kingdom hall, here we were in a club, a nightclub, a place, you know, a worldly place um, to celebrate the life of one of our own because his family wouldn't even hold a funeral for him. His witness family yeah. wouldn't even hold a funeral for him and so he, and so here we are among like among like worldly people who we were taught as you know um are selfish uncaring unloving children of satan mm. if that's the case why would they be the only ones who would hold a funeral for him and not his own family yeah. why 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 so we asked this question and we each took turns on the mic um, um, telling our feelings. Some of us, not me that night, but, but like others among us gave um, their exit narratives, you know, <laughs> into the microphone. We talked about shunning. We talked about gaslighting. We talked about um, 
um, substance use. We talked about, you know, and, and it's ironic, you know, to hold one, to hold a funeral in a bar for someone who died of alcohol poisoning, which is, is neither here nor there. But, you know, the witnesses are a group who claim to help you recover from all these things, right? Right. So um, the idea that you uh, don't need um, um, substance use recovery, just, just uh, pray about it. Read the scriptures, yeah. read the watchtower, read the literature. We'll help you. Your Christian family will help you overcome these things, right? Um, um, ironically, which is actually sort of Alcoholics Anonymous take as well. It's very Christian. Um, So you can't escape Christianity when you're doing recovery, it seems. Or Mm -hmm. if you can, then you're very lucky. Um, So, and we cried, you know, and we, and we held like a photo of him on the dance floor. And, um, and I guess like at that moment, um, excuse me, you know, I realize that there's no going back from from uh, writing this book, right? Right. Uh, and then my friend um, Ian gave me a hug on the dance floor, um, and we caught up after like a few years. Uh, he died three months later, but that funeral was at uh, a cemetery, right? And um, uh, in in a very uh, witness environment. And so it was like, you know, a Jehovah's Witness funeral. Um, and yeah, nothing of substance was said about his life. No. Right? No. So here we have the ultimate celebration of Stephen's life and what it meant by the people who, who knew him and loved him and cared for him. And then a witness funeral for a person in very similar circumstances, and it was all just kingdom platitudes. Oh, we'll see him in the new system. Oh, he'll be resurrected, right? So I guess the rage of that was what propelled me to continue writing this book and to finally finish it. Yeah, I I think that's... um, I mean, you hit upon something there that we've talked about ourselves around the way that funerals are are held you know obviously it's everybody's right to have whatever arrangements they want to have but yeah the um the the lack of personal um personalization of of that is is something that is um is really upsetting it is it's just there's so little about the individual um i know my wife mm-hmm. talked about her mother's funeral which we we all attended and it was yeah, it was it was just rubbish terrible. it was just yeah. just you know there was I'm so sorry little for that. of her there yeah. um yeah and i'm very and, sorry um, to both of you for that yeah well you know i appreciate that i mean obviously um um my wife was actually i, I she was angry it's um obviously she was upset because She's not often uh, angry, died, but she's not often angry. Mm-hmm. But she was angry after that, you know. She because um, um, she had to. Keep I think it was together. Uh, compounded by a question um, afterwards, which was, "How do we get you back on the day of the funeral?" You know, to, yeah. to the to the hall, and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. in what universe? <laughs> after what has just been done, you know. And and just the insults to your to your grief process, you know, yeah. 
it's just treated as an opportunity Mm. yeah Um, i'm very sorry that you had to go through that Mm. i think a lot of people do it it is very unfortunately um it is the way it's done because it is an outline that that all the elders have so if it's a um if it's done in the hall it's done like that you know that is the way that they have Mm -hmm. to do it um but obviously that affected you along with the other things you've talked about so much that you thought um, it's got to be done yeah this has just got to be done yeah um that moment of right <laughs> right um mm. yeah, yeah let's do this thing yeah mm. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um so one of the things that um i asked you um if there's anything else you wanted to talk about before we or i gave a bit of a an outline of some of the things i wanted to ask you and um, so one of the things that you mentioned to me about was um your stutter um growing up and um as a jehovah's witness and leaving um what what was the effect of that and how um how has that affected your um exiting and um, your experience of being a witness sure thank you yeah so our speech was um was highly regulated at the hall, right? You know, so to be like a fluent, quote unquote, fluent, which is the word I like to trouble here, minister means to reflect well on the word of God. Yes. Consequently, if you had a, what's what's called like a defect in speech, it could reflect badly. Um, and the watchtower would say things like, um, like, uh, um, lack of fluency could lead the householder, which is the um, a person answering the door when you're knocking on the door, to think that you're not convinced about the message or that you have like a lack of confidence in the word of God. And so there is this aspect of, of let's try to get you to speak as smoothly as possible. And, and, um, during the process of, of, of writing the book, I, I um, resurfaced these old speech council sheets. I'm not sure if, if in the UK that you had those too, right? Absolutely. It's like graded on, on pausing, emphasis, repetition. Imagine uh, grading a stutter on something like repetition. I can only, you know, you know, wonder what they wrote down on those boxes, right? So, um, fluency yeah. was one of the um, the speech mm-hmm. council points. Um, yeah, I I remember that well. I was actually um, as a ministerial servant. I was a second school overseer, so that was uh, I mm-hmm. would counsel people on these um, these speech qualities. Which yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think um, I do remember certain um, brothers again, bit of language um, who mm-hmm. who did suffer from. A stutter and um there's one particular brother in particular that um it must have been absolutely hellish for him you know he really really struggled up on the platform doing a talk being expected to do that and then having his speech counseled afterwards um mm-hmm. uh, i mean don't get me wrong there were some good points about that i learned a lot from those um mm-hmm. that 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 program um, yeah. and that's probably the only, in fact, I did a, a little podcast for our patrons the other day. The only thing that I took from Jehovah's Witnesses, I think, was some of that stuff, really. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else that I value. Um, but um, 
but yeah, yeah I can imagine that must so did you do yeah. those talks those bible readings and I did I did talks and things yeah oh yes I did those you know those talks and just for our listeners the second school is um sort of like a mini speakers training program that mm. often happens in like a separate room a smaller room than the main hall but uh, at the same time as as uh the other meetings yeah. so you could uh, practice being a speaker to like a smaller that's right a smaller group of people uh usually friends and family and yeah. and like a ministerial servant as you mentioned which mm. is a person who has um um a higher level of responsibility than the average rank and file mm. yeah and so i would read uh bible talks i would explain ezekiel you know as if i knew what it meant um <laughs> i would explain the visions um you know, you know, visions of Daniel, mm -hmm. but I mean, there was encouragement. There were people who would afterwards come up and hug me and say, it's okay, brother. Uh, mm -hmm. As you know, Moses had an infirmity of speech and, uh, and uh, God still blessed him. And, and uh, don't worry, your stutter will be cured in the new system. That's right. Um, and so, as you know, their views on the wider spectrum of disabilities, incredibly disempowering and condescending, where different um, witnesses will be cured, right, mm -hmm. of different conditions. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, I, I later in life, while I was, you know, prepping material to begin this book, I understood to what extent not only is language used to control um, witness life and thinking, but also how that language comes out of your mouth, right? So so speech itself is, um, and the monitoring of speech is like a tool of control. And so um, what I, I didn't articulate this at the time, but what I've since... I've since like hypothesized is that is that maybe I I um, sensed or felt that if I embrace my stuttering and I did take speech therapy and then eventually drop out of it and so and so maybe my dropping out was a way of embracing my speech my stutter as it was and maybe that in turn was a way of rebelling against Jehovah. Mm. Right, this idea of of uh, my imperfections is actually my secret power here. You know, yeah, actually it's my word, way out. The word perfection is a, is another one of those words, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. It's one yeah, that it I, again I'd like to to explore further in our podcast, Celine, um, because people use it actually all the time, um, and it's got a very I think it's got a very Christian and um, sort of pseudo Christian element to it you know it has this mm -hmm. actually what do you mean by perfection um and right. uh, that right. of course the bible has a, a or at least jehovah's witnesses interpretation of the bible has a a view on that um mm -hmm. but um this idea of perfection so we're all going to um be beautiful handsome young um of all the illustrations of paradise of the new earth were beautiful people um with mm -hmm. no disabilities and um mm -hmm. you know um literally whatever the epitome of perfection 
was to to the organization but yeah that that says something doesn't it that itself has a mm-hmm. has an impact on on mm-hmm. who people are i remember um someone was saying as well about you know how you're saying this strain like the way that the witnesses talk about um just anything that's not what yeah they think is perfect or standard or whatever and mm-hmm. i remember um someone that's uh autistic and they were just just talking about this person saying i wonder what they'll be like when they're brought back because obviously yeah. they're oh, like God. yeah because mm. they're like oh they won't be autistic so i wonder what they're like um yeah you know and it's like <laughs> so horrible yeah so horrible you know around them in front of them as though they're you know, like non-sentient a... <laughs> like <laughs> It's like a rubbing them out, isn't it? I mean, if yeah. that's who they are, then mm-hmm. then that is who they are. That that's yeah, yeah, extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, made in God's image, as if I, I mean, as if uh, the Watchtower, um, you know, <laughs> can be that. And I recall actually in uh, grade three or something, elementary school, um, um, grade school, you know. Um, me referring to my speech as an imperfection and then my teacher grilling me on this and saying, and saying, what do you mean by that? Why do you call your speech an imperfection? And, um, I was like, can't you hear it? You know? Uh, but now I know she was recognizing, um, that, that this language didn't come from me. Yeah. It came from somewhere else. And I'm only just, beginning to understand which teachers of mine knew and and uh, which ones didn't that I was in Jehovah's Witnesses and also who suspected I was in some uh, high control group mm-hmm. and yes. it's through it's through moments like that that all, that all come back to me now when they just when they just take me aside with a concerned look and being like mm-hmm. you know and that and that look was about how I was being raised, but I did, but I couldn't understand it, you know, until now. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That glass shattering moment when you look back on all those moments and go, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> connecting yeah. those that dots was that now. Look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh. Daniel, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've we've gone down all sorts of um, linguistic dark alleys which has been brilliant (laughs) and uh, i could do that all day to be quite honest um so thank you for that and thank you so much for uh talking about your book and uh, talking about your life Uh, i'm sure there's loads we've missed um we we could have talked to you about all sorts of things so apologies if we've missed anything that that is important but um your book comes out as you said on may the 9th can can people pre-order Yes, they can. Um, um, I guess uh, we can include the uh, link uh, in the podcast to yep. mm-hmm. pre-orders in the UK or elsewhere. Yep, great. That'd be great. Uh, yep, so um, we'll do that. Um, Daniel, Alan Cox, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you both, uh, Celine and Stephen. It's been brilliant. Thank you.